Well, thank you for joining the podcast today. I'm so happy to bring you my talk that I did at Franklin Templeton about my book, The Broken Road to Mental Health in Life and in Business, and really just encouraged and hopeful for our future that a wonderful corporation like Franklin Templeton would be thoughtful enough to promote mental health and wellness in the workplace. I think that if more companies such as Franklin Templeton's did this, um, our smart business leaders would encourage other business leaders to support staff that might be experiencing mental health issues to cope and recover. Um, Mental health is just as important as physical health. And if we are open about it and we allow our employees to come in and discuss if they might be experiencing anxiety or depression, whatever it might be, maybe it was a loss of a loved one, we would just really improve our culture in our companies that much more. So I'm really proud of Franklin Templeton. I'm really honored. Uh, thank you to Ronis Barlow for asking me to speak. I, I really have great hope for the future of our companies when talks like this happen. And I loved meeting everybody at the book signing afterwards. Thank you, Franklin Templeton. And I hope you enjoy this chat that we had supporting and honoring International Women's Day. here at Franklin Templeton, and this is one of them. So uh, International Women's Day, if you've not heard about it, it's a day to celebrate women and all their achievements and, of course, continuing to work for uh, equality globally. Okay? For women at FT, our group, our mission is to inspire, champion, and support women through their growth and career here at Franklin Templeton. Uh, we also like to partner with our allies and fellow BRG groups to continue to bring awareness to diversity and inclusion here at Franklin Templeton. Okay? Um, I'm here today to introduce someone, and I wanted to say a few words um, to this uh, individual. She's a leader who inspires me um, to lean in and keep learning and also just get involved. So, um, on behalf of the women at FT, we thank you for your continued support and your inspiration. And without any of that, we would have not had this event today. So thank you very much. Um, without further ado, Ronise Barlow, please come up, Senior Vice President. <laughs> this did start as an event for International Women's Day. And how cool is it to see all the guys here? I think that's absolutely terrific. So there may have been a little bit of prying, but thank you for, for being here, uh, to say the least, because that's what uh, just having an inclusive environment is all about. It's uh, You don't have to directly respond or, or uh, directly look like a, a group, but it's, it's how we are all uh, including one another into our broader community, which is terrific. So I get the great pleasure of introducing a, a very good friend of mine and someone who I continue to be inspired uh, by as well. And when Brittany and Melanie came to me and said, you know, we want to plan an event here in St. Petersburg, do I know anyone who has been 
ultimately, you know, very successful in their business life, but also is very open with their personal life and maybe some of the challenges that they've had getting to the, the statue uh, of where they are. Uh, the very first person I, I thought of in many cases is my dear friend Sharon Feckety. And Sharon is known as the Dr. Whisperer. That's her, her business, her first business name, because she has a uh, very uh, long background in the medical field, but as she likes to say, she kind of whispers in the ears of the doctors and other medical professionals about how to build a client-centric practice. And I think all of us have those stories about sitting for an hour or so in a doctor's office and do they really understand the empathy and the business side of running that, that practice. And she's built a very successful career in that. Uh, Sharon's a motivational speaker at many uh, medical conferences in different forums, but she's also uh, been featured on HSN, Bay News 9, Bloom TV, and The Business Show, to name a few of the venues. And even though she practices uh, a lot in the medical field, uh, her candor and vulnerability has earned her much respect across many different industries. Sharon also launched a second business, 13th Avenue Media, and recently published her first book, The Broken Road to Mental Health in Life and Business, and all of you will get a copy of that. Um, Sharon has a wonderful husband, Rob, who I've gotten to know, uh, a stepson who exceeds all expectations, Cooper, but I think what really drives her passion is talking about mental health, and it's something that we, we haven't talked about on a regular basis, uh, whether at Franklin or other places, and uh, Sharon just has a beautiful story that I, I think you'll enjoy hearing, and again, uh, I love her candor and insight and knowledge, so uh, feel free to ask any questions, but please help me welcome Sharon Feckney. I'm Sharon Feckety, and I am so happy to be here. Can you guys hear me? Yeah. Yes. Awesome. I'll just look at a few faces before I tell you this story. So yes, um, I did write a book, and I do have a strong passion about mental health, um, but I'm just going to tell you about my day today, just so you know what my world looks like based on today. So. 7.30 this morning, I had a physician that I've been working with for about six years on the phone, 7.30 a.m. Um, I'm listening to her tell me that she's finally, you know, getting upright. She's been horizontal. And I coach her and help her navigate through her business. And then from there, I had another doctor visit, uh, a new client perspective. And, you know, it was only supposed to be an hour, but it was an hour and a half. And it's like running and running and running. My whole life is running and running, and it's usually around doctors. Can I come closer? Can I come closer? You'll have to tell me if the mic's working. It's not, it's not working. Maybe I'll just go back. That's okay. You can? Okay. So, um, I wrote this book. It was because I have been in the medical industry for a little over 20 years now, which is hard to believe. But um, I had... I had this urge to just start talking about what I saw on a daily basis in working inside and outside of the medical community. And not just that, but all of these wonderful business people that I have the great privilege of working with. 
getting to know them, I, I am the type that could bring something out rather quickly in somebody. They might not want to reveal something to me, but I guess I have that kind of face where they feel like they can tell me about their whole life in 10 minutes. My dad says it's because I'm a Libra. I don't know what it is. It doesn't work. So, um, so I'll tell you, this book, I'm so glad that you're getting it, so thank you. I'd like to thank Bernice and Franklin Templeton for having me here today. Wonderful that all these men are here supporting International Women's Year. I mean, day. <laughs> I mean, month. Yeah, so um, this is such an important time for us, especially because we've, we've had a lot of different movements, right, with women. And if we're going to talk about equality, then we have to actually lift each other up. So not just women lifting each other up, but we need the men too. So thank you. So the book. Um, I'm just going to go through the chapters because it's going to give you a real understanding of who I am. And some of it might be shocking. I asked Bernice if I could curse. She said yes. Maybe before I, I actually come through these chapters, I will tell you that I met Bernice on a buffet line. It's a true story. At the Valspar Women's Executive. I was complaining about the, you know, the stupid little things that you're supposed to get a piece of lettuce and put it on your plate. And like it goes all over the place. The whole buffet thing is ridiculous to me. So I started just talking about that and we burned the results. And I go, it's our anniversary. We go every year to the so chapter number one uh, is from innocence to rehab. Okay? Chapter number two is I smoked crack. That's a good memory. Real shocked I'll be there. <laughs> chapter number three is I blacked out and I woke up in Detroit. So I am going to um, tell you a little bit more about that. I think that seems a little odd. So when, you know, I grew up in Long Island, New York. If you haven't heard the accent yet, you're going to. It's going to kind of help you with coffee or, you know, a long walk, whatever it is that I say. Um, and I went to private school my whole life. I have wonderful immigrant parents from Ireland. They still today sound like leprechauns. Bernice can attest to that. She's golfed with my father because I will not golf with her ever again. Um, she's the first person I golf with, and that's it. I'm done. Um, they have always been very supportive. They put me through private school. I was a good student. I was a jock. I was in every sport known to man. And then I became a teenager. Anybody have kids in here? Any teenagers? Oh, that's fun, right? So um, I was not fun for my parents. Uh, my mom has 12 brothers, true Irish. That's 12 brothers, everybody. That's a lot, right? So um, my mother is the international woman of the world, I believe. And my dad has eight in his family. So, you know, we had this very big family growing up, and there's a lot of alcohol involved. You know, the Irish like to go and have a pint or two, or nine. <laughs> and I took it to an extreme. So I have an allergy to alcohol. I am an alcoholic. I have been sober for 25 years. So I got so thank you. Um, I have 
changed my entire life around. But um, I tell you that now because I've been saying these chapters, right? And I was scared. Like I said, I smoked crack, I blacked out, and I moved to Detroit. But I'm 25 years sober now. So going to private school and, and having all of this, you know, these big events, like every weekend, it was a shower, a wedding, or a funeral, you know, in my family, every weekend. So I couldn't get away from all of the partying, and I was always just, I was just like embarrassed by the fact that I couldn't hold my alcohol, right? So I went to my first rehab when I was 18, I went to my second rehab when I was 19, and I kept on drinking, and other substances were involved, and the blackout, and I woke up in Detroit, Michigan. So from New York to Detroit, from private school to a blackout to Detroit, from wonderful parents that were very supportive, from private school, I was now a blackout drinker living in Detroit, Michigan. Well, I say living, but I don't know if I was really living. It's, um, it's incredible to even me to be able to stand up in front of people that are not in the 12-step recovery program that I belong to and tell this story, because I've been telling this story for 25 years. This is nothing, it's not a big deal. I've humbled myself to hundreds of people through the years. I've said the most embarrassing thing in front of many people. It's very different when you do it in the business community. But I got to a point in my life where I couldn't take another, more, another story about somebody committing suicide, somebody overdosing, there's a horrific opioid crisis going on in the world right now, and it's taking the lives of way too many. So I'm in Detroit, Michigan, and I'm dealing in other substances, and I finally, like I made it out, it's all in the book, I'm not gonna tell you all about it, I'm gonna force you to read it. <laughs> but the reason that I wanted to make it so, like I smoked crack, I don't want to change even the name of mental health. You know, Saturday I'm gonna be speaking to like 25 to 30,000 kids at a huge event, and everybody's asking me what the title of my talk will be. Well, how about the broken road to mental health? And it's so hard for us all to say mental health, right? We don't want to talk about suicide. We don't want to talk about drugs. We don't want to talk about overdose. We don't want to, God forbid, somebody else knew that we were human, right? Especially in business. So after spending this time in Detroit, Michigan, you can imagine my parents, I'm the only daughter, right? So my mother, finally, she's got a girl around her, and I'm gone. And they got many, many phone calls where my purse would end up in a dumpster somewhere, and they would get a call from Detroit, Michigan, that we found your daughter's purse in a dumpster. So many, many times that my parents thought that I was dead. I don't know how I made it out myself. I really don't. Um, I, in the book, and there's even on the cover, there's a lot of cranes. You guys are used to cranes in this area. I see them everywhere. But I smile when I see cranes, because I got lifted up and placed into so many places of grace throughout my life. Um, that I, I love just that symbolism. So when I came home from Detroit, Michigan, um, I fell into a very deep, dark depression. So I don't know if anybody in here is aware of what happens when somebody gets sober or is depressed or wants to kill themselves. I'll, I'll tell you about it. It happened to me. So I came home of 21 years old, which is like when you're supposed to start partying, right? Party's over, Sharon. You are now going to get sober. 
So I was in my parents' uh, house, living there, and thinking about how I was going to just survive. You know, all of my friends that I went to high school with, and I had dabbled in college. More about that in the book. And um, I just didn't. I didn't. I didn't know what I was going to do. I didn't even know how I was going to make it through the day. I became very withdrawn, and I was going to these twelve-step recovery meetings, and I really just um, I didn't recognize myself anymore. That girl that grew up in this very happy home, that was very athletic, had a lot of friends growing up, it was all gone. Alcohol, drugs, and trauma ripped all of that away from me, and a tremendous amount of trauma in my life, as you can imagine when one blacks out and moves to Detroit, Michigan, with a guy named Spokane, which I didn't know was in Washington. I thought it was just a mixture of like spoke of a bicycle and cocaine, Spokane. So, but it wasn't. He was a very bad man, and lots of drug dealers around me, lots of just horrific, horrific things. I can't even believe when I say it out loud that this happened to me. It feels like another lifetime. And I never want to forget, because this broken road that I've been on for so many years has led me to the greatest things that I have today in my life, some of which were new submission as well. So I want to share with you a little bit about what it's like for somebody to suffer from depression. So I had taken some psychology courses in college, and I had this big blue book, and it listed all of the symptoms of somebody that might have so in my head all of the time, and I was reading this psychology book, which I don't suggest if you're suffering from depression, and I thought I had everything that they talked about in that book. So there were um, a few times that I did, in fact, try to take my life, and of course my parents have read this book, and there are many things that have happened in my life that I will not share until they're no longer with us, because I've already put them I, um, when I was getting sober at 21 years old, I, I could barely get out of bed, but of course my parents and my brother, and I have two brothers, but one was only like 13 years old at the time, um, they just, they didn't know what was happening. They were just happy that I was home. They were happy that I was alive. The fact that I just made it, so nobody was trying to get me sober or telling me I had to go to a rehab or suggesting one of those meetings that I should attend. They were just glad I was alive, so everybody walked on eggshells around me. And they never, they never ever talked about me being in Michigan. They actually called it away. Uh, when Sharon was awake. So it, it was just too painful. And they thought that if they talked about it with me, that I might head back out the door. Well, um, thank goodness I got the help that I needed. I couldn't share what I was feeling or what I was thinking because I just didn't even know. I had no idea what was going on. I just thought that, you know, something had taken over my brain. It's in the book. I was a chapter called Tuesdays with Ben. And um, Ben Figueres was my therapist. My dad worked at New York Hospital for 42 years. And my mother worked as um, an EKG technician at a hospital in Rhode Island. And um, so I had medicine all around me. There was no way I wanted to go see yet another therapist. I had already gone to rehabs and all that stuff, and I figured that doesn't work. But because my father told me that it was a good idea to go see Ben, he's a very Irish 
stubborn man. And uh, I'm not talking about you men and the women, but most men don't like to go to therapy. I'm just gonna call it what it is. We don't like to talk about our feelings or our emotions. Women, on the other hand, we love to talk about ourselves all day long and why we feel the way that we do. Um, and it's important when it comes to mental health to talk, to speak up, to say what you're feeling, to say what you're thinking. So I went to see this gentleman, Ben, every Tuesday in Manhattan, and he was my dad's EMP counselor, and I think that is a very important part of any company to have some type of a resource. I'm so glad that you're going to be talking about that later because mental health, it shouldn't be this stigma around it. You know, I, I, I know every single person in this room, whether anybody wants to admit it or not, has been affected in some way by something, anxiety, depression, alcoholism, drug addiction, maybe not you, certainly not you. <laughs> but maybe your family, it's out there. And the more we talk about it, the more opportunity we have to normalize it. And that is really what I feel these cranes put me here to do that. I didn't know it was going to go this way. I had no idea that I'd be speaking in front of a whole group um, of people daily, weekly, monthly about what I went through as a child when I suffered from alcoholism and depression. But I'm certainly glad that I have that opportunity because I'm not afraid to tell anybody. I have two businesses, and I'm a published author, and I'm just a badass, actually. <laughs> not really. Um, so, I have no idea what time it is. How am I doing with the time? We're good. Great. I can't see. You know, 47 now? So I know there's a clock there, but that doesn't do anything for me. So I, um, I will tell you that, you know, what happened to me in my life was actually the greatest thing that could have ever happened to me. Because it's taught me to be really truthful, to be really honest, and really tell other people the truth, right? So I know in a quick minute if somebody is full of shit or not. Like, it's just obvious to me. You know why? Because I'm a drug addict and I'm an alcoholic. So I love saying now, now that the book is out there and people know all about me and all my doctors, all the clients that I have, because I have many, you know, I have, I have nothing to hide. So I, I call it out all the time. Um, being a member of a 12-step recovery group has certainly afforded me um, many opportunities to stand up in front of many rooms for 25 years. So when people used to ask me how I was able to do that, you know, I would just say, well, you know, from New York, I don't know, make something up. But the truth is, I've been doing this in front of platforms forever, but telling the most humiliating stories. And the reason that it works so well is because we're honest with each other. And we don't judge anybody. That's why that program in particular has been around for 80 plus years. So I'll get to where um, business comes into all of this because it's very important um, that I, I have the opportunity to, uh, it's my hair. Oh, I'm not moving, but it's fabulous. So, um, so I get sober, everything is good. I obviously haven't killed myself because I'm standing here today, right? But it was the best thing that ever happened to me. For um, all the people that might think that somebody that dies by suicide is a very selfish act, let me tell you that the only reason that I'm standing here today is because of my family. I did not want to burden anybody else with my issues. I was trying to disappear from the earth 
because I thought I was a burden on them. Okay, it's, we're only thinking about other people. That's all we're thinking about when we're in a depression. Okay, I just want to be sure that I penetrate that to everybody because I've heard it too many times. Um, I was the health and wellness editor for uh, a local magazine, I won't say the name, <laughs> um, not too long ago. And I was writing about mental health, and we were doing an event, so I'm taking you now to the business of medicine. So we were doing an event with all of my doctors, and we were gonna talk about prevention, right? And I go to this foundation that's in Tampa, it's called Grace Point. Has anybody ever heard of Grace Point? Oh, that's a shame. Grace Point has been around for like 60 years now. It's in Tampa, and it's a place for um, children, uh, young adults, um, to go if they need help. If they're Baker Acted, some of them go to Grace Point, but it's a, a huge, um, wonderful resource for anybody. So I'd be happy to tell people about other resources that you might not know about. Because um, I have found out that many people don't know about a lot of resources that are out there. And we all need to get educated about that so we can help somebody else, right? So um, as the health and wellness editor, I'm driving to Grace Point and I'm meeting with the executive director and I'm the health and wellness editor. Hello, Ian. It's nice to meet you. I'm the health and wellness editor of this lovely magazine. And I want to talk to you about, you know, mental health in my community. Because I'm not talking about that business. I'm talking about all of the people that we're going to help at this event. And he starts to share about what he had gone through with his family. His mother and his brother were both afflicted by depression and mental health issues. And I felt like a complete fraud. So it was the first time that I was in front of somebody that was so open and willing to share what they had gone through to support and help somebody else. And I thought, I might just have to do this. So for the first time in business, that's, that's when I opened up and I started talking about it, and that was two years ago. So um, to kind of connect it all with, with the business, um, there was a lot of, of feeling about putting this vulnerability and it was at a time right after this event that we did. It was the first time that I sat out loud in front of a group of people at a very fancy place with a panel of doctors that were my clients and a room full of people that I knew had lost somebody either to suicide or addiction, overdose, whatever it was. And I decided to take a chance and be vulnerable and share what I had gone through. And of course I heard all of what you might think I would hear, you know, aren't you afraid, Sharon, that people aren't going to work with you anymore? Aren't you afraid that these doctors aren't going to want to help, you know, get help from you to run their business? And I wasn't, you know, because, like, I didn't really care. If you don't want to work with me, because I had a previous life where I suffered from depression and addiction, and I've been sober for 25 years, yeah, no, I don't really want anything to do with them, quite honestly. So I had, I had no fear about that. I just had no idea how many people had like no knowledge about resources of where to go and what to do, and how um, people didn't want to talk about it. Uh, and I, of course, I have empathy for that because you know people judge other people. That's just what happens. And I was no longer willing to uh, to not put myself out there anymore. So I'll tell you a little bit about. Um, Doctor Whisperer, and I'm going to grab a sip of this water. Talk amongst yourselves. Joan Rivers? Hardly. 
good day with the doctor. Wasn't one of mine. I'm just saying. It's terrible, right, Louise? I can't help myself. I'm trying to entertain myself. So, um, there's much to be said about uh, the physicians that I get to work with. So, when I was in New York in my early 20s, um, seems like a very long time ago, I had the great pleasure of working for a company called New York Medical. And I quickly moved up the ranks for one reason and one reason only, because I used to smoke crack, and I couldn't believe people would pay me. That's the truth. Like, anybody that gave me a job, I was going to work all day so hard for you. And I was going to, like, I was just going to be the best of the best, because I couldn't believe that I was saved from this life that I was living, right? So I end up at New York Medical, and I quickly move up to the director of operations. Can you believe these people had no idea I smoked crack? And um, I was hiring and firing doctors. In my 20s, we had 11 offices and 55 satellite offices. And I opened them and closed them and hired doctors and fired doctors. And I trained practice managers and I mentored them. And I, I did it all because I'm a hustler by nature. Because I, um, <laughs> because I, um, I work really hard uh, when somebody gives me a dollar. That's how it's always been. That's what I was taught when I was very young, and it remains that way today. So from being the director of um, operations for New York Medical, I stayed there for a bunch of years. I, I loved what I was doing, but I decided that I wanted to move to Florida because we used to vacation here in Madeira Beach, and I thought, you know what? And you know, I had this boyfriend that had a girlfriend, so that wasn't working out too well. <laughs> There's a whole chapter about that in the book, too. He's dead now. I did not do it. <laughs> but he is. So um, I moved here by myself 15 years ago after um, having a, a successful career in New York. I just wanted to be here. Uh, I, I didn't know this then, but I know it now. I definitely had some type of seasonal disorder because it's very, you know, it rains a lot in New York. It's a bit cold sometimes. And the snow thing wasn't working out for me, and I would vacation here, and I would think, oh, people live here? Like, is this really a thing? People have, like, jobs, and they go to work in Florida. This is fantastic. I think I'll live here. And because of this, you know, moxie that I have, I took a chance and uh, moved here by myself 15 years ago. I knew nobody. I had no job. But I had the crane, as I refer to it in this book, God, higher power, some other source greater than myself. So I don't even care. I don't care if they're a Buddhist, a psychologist, or Lutheran, anyone. I knew I had that in one hand, and I had this wonderful recovery group in the other. A place that I could go where nobody was going to judge me, and they were going to help me, and they probably didn't hook me up with a job. Well, that didn't happen. I got the job by myself, but um, I decided to stay, and I ended up uh, running a pediatric practice for eight years. And I went from adult medicine to pediatrics, and I did very well in both companies. And I grew this pediatric practice. I opened the night division. I did a music video. I had doctors dancing around in the music video. It worked. I've always been very good at marketing and being very creative because, you know, I can tell you all now. You already know because I'm a drug addict and alcoholic, right? There's a lot of things that I have applied to my business life because of my active life um, uh, a long time ago. Uh, but the good thing is, I can't do anything today without it being 100% honest and true. 
So if you are paying me, I have to do the right thing. That's the, that's the vow that I took with somebody higher than myself, that if you allow me to live this life and you give me opportunity, I'm willing to just work really hard. So after um, I was running this pediatric practice for a while, I noticed a pattern, right? And I don't know if you guys know this, but doctors aren't great at business, <laughs> right? So I was like, hmm, maybe I should do something about that. So uh, after working there eight years, I was 40, I think, almost 40. And everybody thought I was going through uh, a midlife crisis, right? Because that's what they say. I don't even know who came up with that stupid term. Midlife today, now in 2020, like I think at 60 years old, we're going to look better than we did at 20. Because like modern medicine is great and, you know, Botox and all that good stuff. <laughs> Not that I endorse that or use it. Well, I do actually sometimes when the doctors give it to me for free, let's be honest. <laughs> so uh, I started this business and it has been amazing. The doctor visitor has been great. I have clients from New York to Chicago to Tampa Bay and beyond. And I am the luckiest person in the world. I get paid to speak at medical conferences. I smoked crack. I wanted to die. I drank a lot. I blacked out and I moved to Detroit, Michigan. And 25 years later, I can tell everybody, you know what freedom that is? To be able to walk anywhere, and I don't care what you think of me, because I have overcome so much adversity, I shouldn't even be standing here right now. I certainly shouldn't be in crisis healthcare, right? Doctors give me keys to their offices, and I can go in there at any time. I go to their homes. I mean, I don't go on vacation with my clients. Bernice does that. But, um, <laughs> but, um, but I have developed these wonderful relationships because I've been able to be vulnerable and honest. And I can tell you this, when I get to work with these clients and they get to know me, I know more about them and all that shame and all those things that people hide that they don't want you to think for a second that they might be vulnerable. But we all have stuff, right? And I'm so grateful today that we have this opportunity to allow somebody maybe to take a day off for mental health, right? Um, Alyssa works with me, and I don't think she would have one problem calling me and saying, you know what, I'm just, I'm having a bad mental health day, or whatever it is that she would say. I would, I would want that. I would welcome that. You know how many times I went to work and tried to function after I had been through something traumatic, a breakup? <laughs> breakup. Um, yeah, I'm not single anymore. My husband is like Mr. Rogers, right? Pretty much, Rob? Yeah, I met a wonderful man. He's uh, not like me. He drinks on occasion. Doesn't get in the way. Doesn't black out and move to other states. That's what I do. And um, I raised a child. So all of these things can happen. And you can overcome so much adversity. And you can soar. So um, I have no idea what time it is. Somebody give me a little hookup. I'm almost 10 after. So that we wrap it up. Oh, good. I could talk for days. It's fantastic. I want. I do want to be able to give you guys value. Um, I want you to be able to ask me questions. You know, I ran a pediatric practice for eight years before I opened my business, and I always uh, told a boss of wherever I worked, but I only worked at two other companies, but I'm a very loyal person since uh, I stopped drinking. 
and um, I would reveal myself to them. And in this pediatric practice, when any child came in, whether it be an eating disorder or anxiety or depression or alcohol or the parents were struggling, he came to me and asked me what to do. Because they don't teach this in medical school either, unless they're a specialist, right? Like somebody that specializes in addiction or something like that. So I know a lot about what's going on inside the medical industry. And the free resources that are out there, I'm ashamed to tell you that most don't know. And I'm trying my best to, uh, to make a difference that way. So um, I want to thank you for allowing me the opportunity to be vulnerable in front of you. And if I could wish you anything today, I wish you adversity. Because adversity will make you grateful. So if you've been through it, you know what I'm talking about, right? Adversity makes me grateful every day to wake up. I don't get annoyed by cranes sure you do. You're like, oh, a crane. This is going to be a great talk. Um, and I thank you. I thank you for um, having a forum, having a company that is willing to actually have a conversation about mental health. Because I promise you, the more we talk about it, the less there's going to be a problem. When it was Anthony Bourdain or Kate Spade, um, as much as it's horrible that they're no longer with us, it was really good for the mental health because once celebrities get involved, which is crazy, it actually it allows people to feel better about talking about it. That's why the whole Me Too thing went really well, too. So thank you so much for your time, and I look forward to maybe meeting some of you a little bit later. Thank you, Rose. Thank you, everybody. Thanks for coming. Any questions? All right, in the back.